Um, just make your way as soon as possible, but we're going to start. And today we're going to talk about a very important subject, how to hear the Lord. Nobody's excited about that? Yes, two of you. I got two of you. I only need one, but I got two. The series is about attributes of sons and daughters. So what we're talking about is what it means to be a son and daughter. What does it look like? teaches us that if we receive Christ, we're children of God, we become his sons and daughters, we become heirs, heirs of his world, we gain authority, yes my love, what am I doing? Usually my zipper's down, that's usually when she, sorry, it's just your microphone is wrong, there you go, usually she's like, your zipper's down, and then I have to tell you because it's no big secret, you probably already knew my zipper was down, (laughs) so we're sons and daughters, we become born again, we become his children. The Bible tells us in John that those who receive Christ, He gives us power to become the children of God. While we receive Jesus, He positions us as sons and daughters. But as we begin to follow Him, we begin to become our identity. You understand that? Say this with me. Jesus isn't finished with me yet. I may not look like much, but He's not done with me yet. Do you believe that? Because that's what it looks like. A lot of times we're hard on ourselves, but we're becoming who we are. Jesus loves you so much that He calls you who you are long before you get there. That's the crazy thing about the Lord. He says overcomer. You don't feel like an overcomer, do you? He says champion, right? Victor. He calls you son and daughter. He calls you all these things. Ambassador. None of these things. And you're like, wow, that's great. Those are great titles, but I don't look anything like that. But as we walk after Him, then we become who He tells us we are. So we're going to look today at this, and we're going to read this, Romans 8, 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and the daughters of God. So one of the attributes of being a son and a daughter is we are led by the Spirit. Huge, right? We're not led by religion. We're not led by any other circumstance or situation. We're to be led by His Spirit. Jesus says this in John 10, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. So how do we hear the Lord? Clearly, He's telling us we can. Clearly, He's telling us that part of our purpose is to follow Him by the Spirit. And the way that we follow Him by the Spirit is hearing what He is saying. The first thing you have to do is you have to believe that the Lord speaks. That's number one. That's a major hurdle for a lot of people. A lot of people, that's huge. They they don't believe He speaks. I have friends. They're uh, of, let's just say, more of a Reformed tradition. And they're tells them that they don't that the Lord wrote a book but he lost his voice and that all we need to know is the scripture and all we need to know is the word of God we don't need to know anything beyond that because anything God's had to say he's already written it down well the word of God is of highest value the word of God is important but God never lost his voice he's still speaking Jesus told them my sheep hear my voice we debate this a lot do you know the first gospel wasn't written until almost 60 years after the resurrection So my question is, is when the Christians received Jesus, before Mark wrote his first gospel, Mark wrote the first gospel, it was the memoirs of Peter, but the first first gospel was not written down into transferable text until 60 years after the resurrection. Why is that? Well, because Jesus had unleashed his spirit, and he was teaching the believer to follow the spirit, and not just the, the, the letter. If you understand what's going on here, this is what God did. He, he, he released His Spirit. And then what happened is he, God created a movement. And as the people began to follow the Spirit, then the testimony of Christ was laid down. The epistles were laid down, which are the instructions to the church. 
But everything you read in the book of Acts was accomplished without a gospel, without anything written down. They would testify, they would bear witness. The eyewitnesses of Jesus were the ones the twelve would go around and it was, they would teach, they would preach, they would call people unto, unto these things. But the, but the Bible was not there before the Spirit was. He unleashed the Spirit. That's hard for most Christians. That's hard for American Christians. That really messes with your paradigm. If you really understand what God intended us to do is be followers of His Spirit. Now I say that, and I walk out on dangerous ground, and I say that the Spirit bears witness of the Word. Absolutely. And the Spirit bears witness of Christ. Absolutely. So all these things have to harmonize. But what we do is we take the Word of God, and we put it to such a degree that we don't believe He speaks. Well, He speaks in context, and He speaks in affirmation to His Word. So the Word and the Spirit bear witness. They're one and the same. Do you believe that? Am I messing with your mind this morning? Am I kind of bending you around? It's hard to get your mind around this. I mean, I, I, listen, I, I, look, I'm taught. I'm taught theology. I'm taught Bible school. I've got the whole thing. And it's drilled into you. Rote, memory, memorization. This stuff is drilled into you. But what we need, what's failed to understand is the power of the Spirit. He's still speaking. He's still acting. He's still moving. Say it with me. God wrote a book, but He didn't lose His voice. It's true. He bears witness today. I teach you guys this all the time. It tells us this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. It tells us, it tells us a bunch of things, that chapter. But one of the things it tells us is that you are dreamers and visionaries. Did you know that? Your young men will dream dreams. Your old men will see visions. Right? And you know what else it tells you? It tells you you're a prophetic generation. Everybody is prophetic. Oh, I don't know, Kevin. You know, well, we got the office of the prophet. Well, if we even acknowledge that there is anything, if there is actually anything prophetic going on, we idolize the office of the prophet. Well, there's a difference between the office of the prophet and the ministry of the prophet. Two entirely different contexts. The ministry of the prophet is among the people. All will prophesy. Read Acts 2. You're young, you're old, you're near, you're far, you're maidservants, you're manservants. What he's trying to do is, he's, your sons and daughters, he's trying to make it clear that the prophetic spirit has been released to all people. All Christians. Come on. Come on, I got anybody witnessing me on this? What does it mean? What the prophetic spirit is, is that I can see, I can hear, and I can feel as my Father does. That is the prophetic alignment. Prophetic alignment is to see as He sees, to hear as He hears, and to feel as He feels. Because we're like Christ. Jesus said, as I what? See my Father do, I do. Well, how in the world did He see His Father doing it? He did it through the prophetic. Jesus was God, laid aside His deity, took on humanity, clothed Himself in the Spirit, and walked to make a pattern for you and me. Fully God, but fully man, but yet denying the attributes of His deity. Everything he did spiritually, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't believe that, you say, well, Jesus walked on the water because he was God. Well, you create, a theology, you create a theological conflict. Because if he was God on the water, then who was he on the cross? He couldn't be God on the cross or you and I aren't saved. He had to die as man. You understand that? And the way that the Bible works is what you begin with is what you end with. It's called hermeneutics. You can't parse it out and go, he's God here, he's man here, he's God here, he's man there. It's one or the other. And if he's fully God through everything that he did, he did as God, he did by the power of the Spirit. And Jesus tells you and me, greater works than these you shall do. Is he lying? Is he kidding? Which, what does that mean? That means that if he did it, then I can do it and more. I'm not saying, come on. I mean, somebody's going to help me here. I'm going to start helping myself. 
right? It doesn't mean we operate in this. We don't operate in this because we're ignorant. We don't know what we're doing. And then here's the other thing. We're woefully taught. The church is woefully taught. Woefully taught. We think it's pinwheels. We teach fairy Jesus. Jesus that walks around and sprinkles, sprinkles glad dust on everybody. He's the God of power. He's the scandalon, the Bible says. A rock of offense. Paul said, I didn't come to you with cunning words. I came to you with demonstration of spirit and power. What's that look like? He goes on to elude. I tell you guys this in the book of Corinthians. This is what he's talking about. The Corinthian church was being taught by all these teachers. And they were denying Paul. Who's Paul? Paul's this little runt of a guy. He acts and runs around like this. We're super apostles. Have you heard me speak? Have you heard me teach? And Paul actually talks about that. I'm not like the super apostles. I didn't come to you with eloquence. I came to you with demonstration and power. And his illusion is, is if they can't demonstrate power, why are you listening to them? Ooh, that's a big word to the church today. If we can't demonstrate the things that we preach, why, are, why, are we, why would anybody want to listen to us? We should bear witness of the truth. Signs and wonders. I was just doing research on a bunch of stuff that I'm doing on the side, and I was reading this verse last night, and I think it's, in, uh, I think it's Ezekiel, and he says, my people will be as signs and wonders to me. We are signs and wonders of him. That's who we are. Our lives are to testify with power, presence. You should be able to hear the Lord, Christian. And if you don't hear the Lord, my question is why? Who told you that? You should be able to lay hands on the sick, and they should recover. And if you're not, the question is why? Well, God doesn't love me. I don't have the gift. Who told you that? You don't know what you're doing, which is fine. We'll help you out. I have fire starters in the room. We just finished it up. Anybody here lay hands on the sick and see them recovered? We have people, we have people praying, never prayed for the sick, praying for the sick in fire starters, and people got healed. Lots of them. Lots of them. Not one, not two, not would you, could you, should you, maybe. Lots of them. Why? Because there's a problem with our the problems on our side. We're ignorant of something. We don't know what we're doing. So the question is, is learning to do, what it, do it the way that he said and following that. And it's an amazing thing. You'll start to see things change. The first thing you got to do if you want to hear the Lord is you got to believe that he speaks. If you don't believe he's speaking, we got a big problem. That's the first thing. You know what happens when a radio antenna is out of sync? What happens? Can they get a signal? No. Right now, there's all kinds of music in this room. Beethoven's in this room. You didn't know it, did you? Taylor Swift's in this room. You're like, oh, God, help us. But Taylor Swift's in this room. All we got to do is get the right frequency, and we can dial in, and we can pick up the signals of what's already there. The radio waves are already in the room, but we don't have the right transmitter, or we don't have it tuned into the right station to pick up the signals that are already there. God is already speaking He's speaking. The problem is, is we're not aligning. And the biggest confrontation man has to do is the way that we think. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what that means? Change the way that you think. You're thinking wrong. And here's a big one. That say, well, we need to think like the Scripture. True. But most Christians need to change the way they perceive God because your, your thinking about Him is wrong. You see Him the wrong way. And as you see and perceive Him, so you relate to Him. You don't know that He's good, good Father. Therefore, you don't relate to Him as good, good Father. You don't know that you're loved with an everlasting love. You don't know that He'll be angry with you no more. That's what His Word says. Isaiah, I will be angry with you no more. 
God's mad at me. Says who? Now, my Bible, it doesn't mean he approves everything you're doing. You understand what I'm saying? There's a difference between the action and the person. And God has a unique ability to separate your actions from your personhood. It's an amazing thing. He can see you in light of yourself. He can see you in light of your actions. He's not angry with you anymore. Tells us about the blood of Jesus. He says, this is as the waters of Noah to me. As I swore in my wrath, I would never cover the earth with water. So by this blood, this is what he's talking about, by the blood shed by Christ, I swear I will be angry with you no more. Aren't you glad? That's good news. You know what that means? It means you can't screw it up. You can't screw it up if you try. You can't. You are positionally his son you may, or his daughter. You may not be acting like it. You may not be living like it. But that doesn't change the fact that you are. Mm-hmm. Bible says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. In other words, your liberty is to such a degree that you cannot separate yourself from the love of God. Now, that does not mean that what you do is going to profit you. You understand that? You're free to go stand on the freeway. But that doesn't mean it's going to profit you. There's a lot of dangerous things moving on the freeway. Can we get a witness? You're free to make decisions outside of what God says. You're free. And that does not condemn you. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. You are not condemned. Either that's true or we all need to go fishing. You understand? There is therefore now, right now, not no, there will never be condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. You're not condemned. It doesn't mean that your behavior is going to profit. We profit. There's two different paths. There's the path of salvation and there's the path of destiny. Jesus has handled salvation. Most of your decisions do not affect as a believer. If your heart belongs to Christ and Christ is in you, you are born again. And your decisions don't affect your salvation. They affect your destiny. They affect your life in this world. And until you get that, you're going to be living under a, under a context of and shame and you're forever going to be repenting before the altar and thinking you need to get saved 10 times who told you that who told you that bible says he tattoos your name on his hand do you know that say god got tattoos yep god's got tattoos in case you didn't know bible says he tattoos your name on his hand so every time he stretches his hand out his your name's on it hello every time god's hand is stretched out your name is on his hand jesus got a tat that goes from here to here Anybody know what it says? King of kings and Lord of lords. Tattooed is the word on his thigh. Oh, we can't have tattoos, brother. It says in the book of Leviticus we can't have tattoos. They were marking their bodies for religious experience. It also says you can't wear blended fabric. So if you're wearing a poly blend and you're against tattoos, we got a problem. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says guilty of the part, guilty of the whole. In other words, you can't parse out the law. You're either going to keep it all or you're not. But righteousness does not come by the works of the law. Righteousness comes by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Come on, aren't you glad? Amen. Well, I don't believe in tattoos. And I always tell them, it tells them not to trim your hair, the, beard on your, your, the hair on your beard. So you better, have a hair, you better have a beard that looks like, you know, Rumpelstiltskin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if we're going to go after tattoos, well, let's go after polyblends. You know? I'm just telling you. For freedom's sake, Christ has made you free. The extent of the liberty that he has given you far surpasses your understanding. And most of you can't relate to him because your paradigm about him is wrong. It's wrong. And you have to change the way that you think. You don't believe he speaks, therefore you never hear him. Or here's the next one. You don't believe that you're loved. 
Well, God, I think God speaks, but I don't think he's going to speak to me. Who told you that? Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. He qualifies it simply because of who you are. You're in him. You can hear him. He loves you. You cannot, if he set his affections on you and he chose, you cannot make him unchoose. He has chosen you. You are chosen. People go, that's not fair. God chooses the people. God chooses the Christians to be sons and daughters. Yep. He chooses the sons and daughters to be, those who put faith in him, he chooses them as his sons and daughters. You say, well, that's not fair. And I'm like, well, you want to be chosen? Give your life to Jesus. And you too can be chosen. You see what I'm saying? The gospel's for the whole world. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. Well, then you're not chosen. Bible says the bread's for the children, Christian. Did you know that? When you're up for a job and you feel God's going to give it to you, he's given it to you. You say, well, I don't know. I don't want to exclude anybody. God says he'll exclude everybody for you. Oh, I don't know. That doesn't sound like God. The Bible says the bread is for the children. I mean, help me. There's nothing fair about favor. And until you understand the favor that is on your life, you won't walk in it. Until you understand that you are favored, not because you're good looking, or you come from a great family, or you got PhDs on the wall, or MBAs on the wall, that's not why you're favored. You're favored because God puts his favor on you. That's why you're, and there's nothing fair about favor. That's right. Nothing fair about it. He gives nations for your ransom, the Bible says. He'll give up a nation. Oh, you, my, one of my daughters needs a job? Boom, this person needs to get fired today. Hire this person. Oh, that's not fair. Nothing fair about favor. The bread is yours. Until we get this, nothing's going to change. We walk around like this, like we're, you know, well, we're the off-scouring of the earth, Pastor. That's talking about a positional humility. It's not talking about a relational identity. Two different concepts entirely. Entirely. You need to know who you are. The bread is for the children. God uses people, places, and things, and He expects them to be, and He's going to use them to bless you. You were created to be blessed in Christ that the blessings of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles. Well, what's the blessings of Abraham? In multiplication, I will multiply you. Surely in blessing, I will bless you, and I will multiply you in multiplication. Have I not said it? Will I not do it? That's the blessing of Abraham. Anybody want multiplication? That's the blessing of Abraham. I will multiply you. I will make you a great nation. I will raise your influence. I will bless you. That is a covenantal blessing outside of the law nothing to do with the law. Anyway, I don't know who that's for. This is for somebody here. And you've got to believe that he'll answer. Well, I know he loves me. And I know he speaks. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. He's not going to answer me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what he's done. If all you're focused on is what you've done, you've lost sight of what he's done. What can separate you from the love of God? He will answer you. And you know what will answer you? In the depth and the darkness... I had a guy telling me I was, an, I was a drug addict living in the woods. He just told me this after service. And he said, the simplest prayer I prayed, and God answered me and delivered me from where the position that I was in. You didn't look at him and go, well, God, you're not going to love me. You don't know what I've done. Well, you don't know what he's done. Even when you're far away from him, the Bible says he loves you from afar with an everlasting love. That's how much he loves you. You want to hear the Lord. This is the key to your destiny. This is the key to your future. Hearing the voice. The Bible uses two concepts.
texts for us to follow, his word and his voice. If you will hearken unto my word, he says many times, but he also says, if you will hearken unto my voice, listen to what I'm telling you. His word can be personal, but so can his spirit. Wisdom shouts in the streets. What's that mean? He's speaking. Wisdom is speaking in the square. In the noisy streets, wisdom is there. God is there. He's speaking. At the entrance of the gate, she utters her saying, How long, simple ones, will you love simplicity? How long will you be simple-minded? Scoffers delight in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. He uses the feminine form of wisdom because the feminine form is nurturing. We don't come to God's voice because we think He's going to be like a father and shake His finger at us or correct us. He portrays His voice in in the feminine form and says, I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to welcome you. I'm going to hold you. My voice is that of a woman. That's why he personifies wisdom as a woman. Because it's it's, it's an invitational. Right? When kids fall down, who do you run to? Right? Right? Anybody here with little kids? They fall down, they're they're not going, Daddy, I hurt my knee. They're going, Mommy. Right to Mommy. Straight away. Mommy's the one that holds them with the tears. Mommy's the one that says it's okay. Me, I'm like, rub dirt on it. You're going to be fine. Walk it off. You're all right, but I think my leg is broken. Keep walking. You're going to be fine. (laughs) The word simple means ignorant and unaware. We're ignorant and unaware that he's speaking. We're ignorant and unaware that he wants to speak to us. Scoffers scoff. Christians are in this category. We scoff. Ha, ha, ha. You mean God's going to speak? Ha, 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 ha. Mocking and scoffing. The very idea that he would speak. Who told you that? You see, he gives them all here. So we got the simple-minded that don't know about it and don't know how to get there. Then we got the ones who will scoff. And then he's got the ones who don't want to come to God because they think the instruction is going to be harsh. Or they think that the instruction is going to be something that they won't like. The Bible says you're a fool that hates knowledge. When you don't come to God because you don't don't think you're going to like what he says, the Bible says you're foolish. He's going to give you knowledge. He's going to give you instruction. This is the thing. A broken reed he will not bend. Smoking flax he will not quench. All who come unto me I will no way cast out. So if you're not coming to Jesus or you're not coming to his voice for those reasons, there's a problem. Your perception of him is wrong. He edifies. He builds up. He encourages. This is the voice of the Lord. He might correct you and go, "Uh, dude, you're doing something wrong here, Kevin. This is not right. We need to correct this. Or this is what's stopping you. That's how he corrects. He doesn't condemn. The Lord doesn't condemn. There is no condemnation. We just, we, I just quoted that to you. His voice is exhortation, which means get up and go, get away from that, go into that instructional exhortation, encouragement, or he builds you up. That's how he speaks. Any other voice that's out of that context is not the voice of the Lord. How do you know this? The Bible tells me so. Next slide. Here's the story of Moses. Moses at the burning bush, right? Here's how Moses heard the Lord. Moses hadn't heard the Lord in a long time. Forty years he was a somebody. He's been in the wilderness 40 years as a nobody. And God's about to speak to him. When God starts talking, the somebody or the nobody becomes a somebody. He was a, no, he was a somebody in his own eyes. So Moses was the prince of Egypt. Had all the status, had all the wealth, had all the trappings. He, he did it all on his own. He did it his way. Then he lost it all. Now he's been wandering around as a nobody for 40 years. And finally, because Moses probably wasn't seeking the voice of the Lord, the Lord had to interrupt him. And when God starts speaking, he's trying to move you from nobody to somebody. 
He's not talking just in the air. He's trying to bring you somewhere. That's how he works. So Moses hears the Lord out of a burning bush. He says, Lord, here am I. He approaches, takes his shoes off, and here's the, here's the list of what he does. The first thing he did was he turned aside from the ordinary to the extraordinary. If you're going to hear the Lord, you have to turn away from the noise. A lot of noise, right? A lot of noise. Noise that's not even sounds. Pressures, needs, demands, deadlines, obligations, responsibilities, that's all noise. White noise, right? It's just there all the time. You have to turn away from that and turn to the extraordinary. We have to say, okay, that's there, but I know God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. You have to turn away. It requires humility. We take off our shoes. What does that mean? We honor Him. Say this with me. Honor creates access. Where there is no honor, there is no access. Moses honored the voice. A lot of times when God speaks, we don't honor what He's saying. We don't listen. We don't press in. We don't recognize. We don't humble ourselves beneath it. And because we will not honor, we will not access. If you don't have an honor for His voice, you don't access it. You don't have an honor for His Spirit, you don't access it. You don't have an honor for the prophetic, you won't access it. Whatever you will not honor, you will not access. i got news for you. You may have the right to access it, but honor is the key. I have the right to go in there, but unless I honor, I can't. It's the way it is. Honor creates access. Hmm? It's the same way with our heart, isn't it? Ladies, gentlemen, woman wants your heart, but she ain't getting in there unless she honors you. Not an ego thing. Ladies, dudes, you want to get in her heart, you're not getting in there unless you honor her. Value, that's what honor means. To esteem with value higher than self, that's honor. If you will not esteem it in value higher than you, you're not going anywhere. If you do not esteem the things of God higher than your intellect, higher than your understanding, higher than your will, higher than your idea, you're not going anywhere. Just saying. This is how this stuff works. See, we teach a real Christianity. I'm trying to teach you how this stuff works so that we're not looking at the things of Jesus like it's wallpaper. We're not reading our Bibles or just looking at stories as if it's some galaxy far, far away. It's right here, right now. This stuff works in real time. This stuff is real in our generation. Not tomorrow, not yesteryear, right now. But there are reasons why. And these are the questions we have to ask. So we have to honor the voice of God. He gives instruction. He says, what do you got in your hand? This is further down the, down the chapter. Which means he requires permission. So the voice of God, say this with me, the voice of God is intended to release and lead me into my destiny. That's what the voice of God is for. Whatever arena of your life, there's lots of arenas in your life. Your future is only one of them. Your marriage or your relationships, your finances, your, your, uh, your family, all of these things. Your faith is another part of your destiny. And it's the Spirit of God that's given to us to lead us into these arenas. The arenas of your destiny are multiplied. There's many of them. You have a destiny in your home. You have a destiny in your relationships. You have a destiny in your faith. You have a destiny in your future. You have a destiny in your finances. Those are the five. Right there. That's where your arenas of your destinies are. Right there. And the arena of your destiny is going to come when you honor it and you follow Him. Then it's going to start happening. But when God speaks, His desire is to bring you into the destiny that He has for you. So He speaks to him and He says, Listen, Moses, I want to bring you into 
destiny. My voice is to make you who you are. My voice is to bring you into this deliverer that you've known yourself to be all of your life. The reason why you killed the Egyptian is because you believed that you were a deliverer, but you can't do it without me. And so now I'm going to manifest your destiny. I'm going to bring out of you what I put in you long ago, but it's going to require something. Put your staff on the ground. He throws a stick down, turns into a snake. Moses picks it up, turns back into a stick. Well, what's the stick? It represents his identity. That's who Moses was. Moses, I'm a shepherd. This is who I am. And God says, until you submit your identity into who I am, and your identity becomes who I say you are, nothing's changing. Represented his income, where he drew his source from, where life came from, where his substance came from. He had to lay that down too. This keeps a lot of people from following their destinies, their perception of where the money's going to come from. Can I get a witness? <laughs> so we lay, we lay down destiny on the altar of convenience. We lay down destiny on the altar of security. Just the thought. Think about it. He said, you're going to have to release that. You're going to have to lay that down. Then he says, your influence. This is all the people you've been hanging around with, all these sheep. These are all your influence. Jethro and, the, and all of the other shepherds, you're all together. You're going to have to lay all that down. And you're going to have to go to a people that I'm going to show you. You're going to have to go to a place. You're going to have to build relationships in new areas, in new ways of life, if you're going to walk in destiny. And these are exactly the three things that keep us from destiny. The voice of the Lord speaking to you, bringing you into identity. He's speaking to you, bringing you away from the sources that you have drawn from for so long and unto Him. The voice of the Lord is speaking to you, oftentimes bringing you away from the circles of influence that have been contaminating you. You will rise to the level of your five closest friends, just, the, just, the, just so you know. Two things that affect your reality, your income level is in direct proportion to your five closest friends. This is a statistical fact. This isn't even a Christian fact. In other words, the mindset that you hang out with is, tends to be the mindset that you will, get, you will rise to. You don't rise above it. So the question is, is if you want to go bigger, you've got to get around big arrow people. If you want to stay the same, then hang out with the crowd you've always hung out with because nothing's going to change. That's just truth. Second thing is what you're reading. What you're reading, what you're feeding on, what you're putting in you, and who you're hanging out with will affect your future more than anything. So if you want to affect your future, start putting some different stuff in you and start hanging out with some different people. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, then don't expect anything to change. The Bible says you're double-minded in all your ways. Do not expect that you receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because this is the path God says, and you say, no, I'm not going to. But I want God to bless it. It's not going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. If you want change, you have to partner with change. You have to cut out relationships that are toxic. You have to cut out people that are dragging you down. I had friends, every time I got around them, I would go to the wrong place. Anybody here? A lot of bad things would happen. Then I started getting around more spiritually successful people than me, and an amazing thing happened. I started to be hungry for different things. I started to want to rise in the level of my life. I started to want to change because I was around people of a different perspective. I started feeding on things. The things that I used to feed on were negative self-condemning, false identities, false IDs. Until you feed on the right ID and you let God, you start partnering with the, your true identity, nothing's going to change. It's amazing. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. What do you think you are? Who do you think you are? That's what you are. I'm a son of the highest. That's who I am. You say you don't look like it. Doesn't matter. That's who I am. <laughs> That's how I live my life. 
My life is lived through the lens and the filter of who I am. I'm a son of the highest and I'm about my father's business. Wherever I go, whatever I do, no matter what it is I'm doing, I'm about his business. What do you want to do here, Lord? What is your will in this place? And then he shows me and then I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. He's like, that's okay, I'm going to help you, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is how it works, guys. As long as we hold on to it, it's dead. We've got to lay it down and let God take it from there. This, the, the stick itself changed names. Isn't this crazy? The stick was no longer the staff of Moses. From that point on, it became known as the rod of God. Every time that stick is mentioned in the Bible, from that point forward, in the Hebrew, it is known as the rod of God. Or the thing that was laid down for the Lord. Or the thing that was submitted for the Lord. And the thing that was submitted for the Lord became the source of power in Moses' life. You understand that? Everything God did, we did with a stick. Wave the stick, Moses. Stick the stick out. Throw the stick down. Hold the stick up. Wave the stick like this. I mean, whatever it is he's doing, he was with the stick. Because it was that thing that he submitted to him. Next slide. God is partnering with you. His voice is key to your identity. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Jesus has a plan for the world. Did you know that? Right? This is how good he is. This is how you got to begin to see your life. So here it is, right? It's called, everybody say it with me, a meta, say meta, I'm going to give you some Greek words, meta, macro, and micro. The meta plan of God is his plan for the whole world, his plan for the whole universe, his plan for all of, all of time. This is the meta plan of God. Into the meta plan of God comes a macro plan of God, which is the plan of God, we can liken it to our generation. So, okay, God wants to do this. This is his plan for the ages. This is what he's working on. This is his macro plan. This is what he's doing in our generation. The micro plan is what he wants to do in your life. His goal is to get you on the micro plan so that he can integrate you into the macro plan so that he can integrate that into the meta plan. That's his purpose. But until you get on page with the micro plan, we're not getting on page with the macro plan. He wants you on page in your life so that he can integrate you into what he's doing in your generation. And then he wants to integrate what he's doing in our generation so that he can integrate that to what he's doing in all of time and space. This is what he's doing. This is what he's doing. His plan isn't really about you. It's about him. And what he does is he loves you so much he's trying to bring you into his plan. You're uniquely designed and creative for a purpose. Uniquely. I don't know. Am I shooting this over y'all's head? Or is it too much? All right, good. It's important to know that. You need to see your life differently. We, here's our perception. We think Jesus is on our own agenda. We think he's on our plan. And so when Jesus isn't doing what we want him to do, we get mad. Pout our feet, get mad. Why aren't you doing what I want you to do? Because it's not about you. It's about him. Bible says grace is in the eye of the Lord. Grace is divine power, is God's enabling power of his spirit. And where is his divine enabling power? What is he looking at? Get in line with what he's looking at and you'll begin in line with his divine power. What is he looking at in your life? Is he looking at your finances? Until you line it up, nothing's changing. Is he looking at your relationships? Until you line it up, nothing's changing. It's grace is in the eye of the Lord. You understand this? This goes from the littlest level all the way up to the highest. And until we can get the little things right, we're not going to move into the other things. How do you know God doesn't want to use your business to fuel things for the kingdom? and fuel things for the gospel that will affect a generation. How do you know that? <laughs> he just might. 
How do you know that he doesn't want to pivot you and put you in a position that can do things that are higher than you simply because you're helping out, simply because you decided to line yourself up with? We're doing a school. We're trying to raise $100,000 for a school. We're going to launch the school next year, right? How do you know that God wouldn't have you sacrificially give to that school in order that that school could happen and would change a generation? How do you know that? But until you line up with the micro plan, there's nothing going to happen. Well, I don't know. It's my money. It's all about me. I got my own needs to take care of. I got my own things to take care of. Yeah, don't we all? Don't we all? We make no offering to God that costs us nothing. We sacrifice unto his purposes. We seek first his kingdom and what is right to him, and then everything's added unto us. Isn't that the way it works? So when we wonder why it's not working, it could it be that we're just operating outside of the way that God designed it? There's again another question. We have to look at these things and ask ourselves why. It's not because you're not loved. It's not because God doesn't care. It's not because God doesn't see. There's something misaligned. And sometimes the misalignment comes in the, in the manner of faithfulness. You don't hold the course long enough. You quit every time, they dip, every time it gets hard. You're misaligned. You're faithful unto death. What he tells you to do, you do it. You can go back to him and go, you sure you said that? Yep, I said to do this. I feel like I'm dying here. Be faithful unto death. Don't quit. So it's not even just a matter of action. Sometimes it's a matter of attitude that's misaligned. I want his glory, man. He's promised it. You understand that? Do you understand what he's promised? He's promised his glory. He's promised his power. He's promised his purpose. He's promised it. And if he's promised it, do you think he intends to give it? I do. It requires a partnership. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Habakkuk, we're going to look at Habakkuk. Habakkuk is what's called a minor prophet, not because he was least. It's because his book was smaller. So in your Bible, you have major prophets and minor prophets. And everybody goes, well, Isaiah's a major prophet, so what he says must be more important. No, it just means his book is bigger. <laughs> That's how they classify it. So this is the prophet Habakkuk. Habakkuk is the clearest prophet when it comes to vision. He's one of the clearest prophets when it comes to hearing the Lord. It's basically a step-by-step. -step. Here's Habakkuk 2. I will go to my watchtower and I will set myself on the rampart. And I will watch to see what God will say. And I will answer when I'm corrected. So what does he do? Number one, if you want to hear the Lord, you've got to withdraw. Right? And that doesn't mean you go to the mountains for six weeks. Withdraw can be a conscious act. I'm not going to pay attention to the noise. I'm going to tune in to my Father. I'm going to listen in the Spirit. I'm going to have the hearing ear of Solomon. That's what I'm going to do. So if I say, God asked, Solomon asked for wisdom. That's not what it says. He asked for a hearing ear. That's the literal interpretation of what he asked for. He didn't ask for wisdom. He asked for the ability to hear the voice of God. Because in the voice of God, there is wisdom. Hello. So we're going to tune in. We're going to tune out and tune in. I know that's all there, but I'm going to consciously align myself. Maybe you withdraw. Maybe you fast. Maybe you pray. Maybe you go into periods of silence. Maybe you do that. Maybe you shut your cell phone off for a season. I know that some of you are about to have a heart attack when I say that. Panic attack. Do you know they put stress meters on people with their cell phones? Did you know that? And they had a meeting, and they put all these stress meters on them, and they were telling them it's going to be about, we're going to test you in stressful situations. So the whole, the whole, uh, the whole, uh, uh, experiment was that people thought that they were going to be given stressful situations. That's why all the monitors were on them. But what they did is they took their cell phones and put them across the room on a table. Visually, they could see them. They didn't put them in a box. And the people were stressed out about the phones. They kept doing this. 
is a problem. We can't hear the Lord because we're hearing, we're hearing you know, AT&T or Verizon all the time. We have, to make a, we have to make a commitment that this has to change. If you don't, if you don't want to hear the Lord, then that's fine. But somewhere along the line, you have to make a sacrifice. God was dealing with me on something in my own life, and he said, unless you sacrifice, this is not happening. He'd been telling me things and telling me things and telling me things, and I felt like he'd been instructing me. And it was at a moment he, I felt like he was telling me to do something, and it wasn't convenient for me to do it at that time. And I hear the Lord, and I'm like, and I hear the Lord go, Kevin, if you will not sacrifice, this isn't going to happen. Yeah? If you don't make a sacrifice, it's not going to happen on its own. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to cut something out. You're going to have to lay something down. You're going to have to make the margin. You're going to have to step in even when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable for you. Here's three things the prophet did. He looked, he saw, and he heard. What? He's doing three things to hear the voice of God? Yep, he's looking into the Word, he's seeing into the Spirit, and he's hearing in the Spirit. I will look, I will see, I will hear. I'm going to look at the Word of God, I'm going to look inside of myself and understand the impressions that I'm getting. I'm going to see in the Spirit and know the visions and the things that He's impressing, and I'm going to hear. Jesus said, if I see, I do. If I hear, I do. How did He do that? Through the prophetic. Same thing on you. God gives you visions. God gives you purposes. God gives you word. He speaks to you. He impresses upon you. And he says, and I'm going to respond to correction. See that there? Because sometimes we go to hear the Lord and we can't hear him because he's trying to get you to understand something. And he's trying to say, listen, before we go here, we need to go here. I need to correct you on some attitudes, on some actions, on some things in your life. In order for you, me to take you here, we got to deal with this. That's what the prophet said. I'm going to wait and answer because if he corrects me, I'm going to respond. So he's going to the Lord to see, hear, and feel what the Lord says, but he's also preparing himself to repent or correct the things that God's going to show him because it's part of the process. Here's a story in the book of Mark. Great majority of people, this is where a lot of Christians are, this is where a generation is. We have a group, of, we have a man coming down, Jesus comes down from the mountain, his father with a boy, you hear me tell this story all the time, there's a boy that has epilepsy, he's laying on the ground, he's convulsing, right? And as this boy's laying on the ground, we have a theological debate going on. We have the Pharisees over here, and we have the, two, we have the Christian the, the disciples over here. They're arguing amongst themselves. They're discussing theology. They're discussing points of view. Jesus walks down and goes, what's the problem? And he sees the boy, and he says, how long has he been like this? And he says, since the childhood. And what I love about this story is what he says. He indicts the whole generation. He doesn't go, dude, what have you been doing with this son of yours? He indicts the whole generation. He says, whole generation has been faithless. Whole generation has been in rebellion. And because you've been faithless and been in rebellion to my word, to the voice of my spirit, therefore deaf and dumb is upon your children. They cannot see me. They cannot hear me. They cannot speak on my behalf because of the rebellion that is within a generation. What? Is that what he's saying? Your children, your sons and daughters, are hearers and seers. But they're not hearers and seers because you're out of alignment. Most Christians can't hear God because of a deaf and dumb spirit. A deaf and dumb spirit is in direct relationship to a spirit of rebellion. How do you know this? I do inner healing and deliverance with people all the time. 100% of the time, people go, oh, I can't hear the Lord. I'm like, well, what's he told you that you haven't done? What he told you, he told you to do something, you didn't do it, and now you can't hear God. Now you're no longer hearing the Lord. And you won't hear the Lord until you back up, acknowledge that you didn't do it, and start doing the thing that he told you. 
You've become deaf and dumb from that point forward. I lead people all the time. They go, did he tell you this? Yeah, okay, let's acknowledge that. Let's pray. Lord, I see you told me this. I've not done it. I repent. I just want to tell you I see this now and I've not done it and I'm going to purpose in my heart to do it. Boom, all of a sudden now they can hear God. Now what's he saying to you? Oh my gosh, I can hear him. Why? Because we just rid the self of the point of inception and we've read the devil's right over you. The devil, God is not silencing heaven. The devil has a right to afflict you. He works in the sons of disobedience. And by not doing what he says, doesn't mean you're not saved. What he's doing is he's coming over you and he's imparting something into your life or he has a right to shroud you because you've not listened. Ezekiel said, because you won't listen to me, I put a spirit of stupor on you. In other words, the spirit of stupidity comes over you because you refuse to listen to me. Could it be that our stupidity is directly related to something he told us to do that we haven't done? How do you know this? Because I'm that guy. I've done it. <laughs> and if we were to survey the room and we were to ask you, has the Lord told you to do anything? Yeah. 90% of the believer would say yeah. And the other 10% just haven't tuned into it. But he's told you something. He's given you a vision. And you've not done anything with it. And you wonder why he's not talking to you. You wonder why things aren't coming. Because you haven't done anything with the first thing. Go back and do the first thing, and then all of a sudden this stuff starts opening up to you. I'm telling you how this works. This is the reality. This is why you're not hearing. So you know what I have to do? i got to go back and do what he told me to do. And you know what I do now? Because I've learned this lesson the hard way. When he tells me, I do it. Do you know why? Because I know I'm going to go into the spirit of stupid the minute I stop doing what he tells me to do. You go into the spirit of stupid. And everything gets stupid. You don't know what you're doing anymore. You get confused. You start doing stupid things because you're not doing what he told you to do. It's a crazy thing. I know this from personal experience. So I know this is real. And the minute I go back and I feel like there's a lot of things in my life right now that I, should, that I want to do. There's a lot of things in my life that other people want me to do. But the only thing I'm doing is what he told me to do. And it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm doing it anyway. Jesus, when Jesus is talking to you, it doesn't make sense to you. I want you to do this. What? Are you kidding me? I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. He's going to show you. And you start walking into the darkness. You start walking into the unknown. And that's where Christians don't want to go because we lose control. We're a control freak generation, bound by fear, deaf and dumb to the things of God, too afraid to act. So we become paralyzed and stuck in a moment. I don't know about you, I don't like being stuck in a moment. Are you stuck in any moments? Anybody? You got a moment that's stuck in your life? You feel like your future's stuck? You feel like your family's stuck? You feel like your finances are stuck? What area of your life is stuck? It's directly related to obedience. Directly. Righteousness hides us. Unrighteousness exposes us. And when we're exposed, the enemy has a right to us. When we walk in His righteousness, which is what is right to Him, there is no exposure. This is how this stuff, again, I'm, I don't know why I'm telling you guys all this, but this is for somebody. Yeah, so you need to write this down because this is good. So we get out of this situation when we recognize what has He told you to do. He's told you to do something. Say it with me. Cowardice is not an excuse. Jesus is a demanding boss. Read your Bible. That's not, what they, that's not the fairy Jesus that I've been taught. Well, you need to read your Bible because that's what he is. What he invests, he expects a return. 
We have the parable of the minas in the book of Luke, and we have the parable of the talents in the book of Matthew. And each time Jesus gave, he expected a return. He, and, and when the guy buried it in the ground, and he said, what? I was afraid. Did Jesus accept that excuse? He did not. Cowardice will not be an excuse. To tell Jesus, I, I would have done it, but I was too afraid, he doesn't accept that as an excuse. He expects you to try. That's what he expects. He expects you to sacrifice you and your feelings and your whims and your wants, and he expects you to do what he's told you to do. And he expects a return. That's important to know. So he goes on the rampart. He responds to the correction. Next slide. Deaf and dumb spirit and inability to hear. We've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with that. Where have I, what has he told me that I haven't done? What has he told me? What has he told me to do that I haven't done? It's going to shut down if you don't. Unwillingness to follow. Heaven is silent. We need to recognize that he's already told me something. We need to repent, which is return, and go back to him. And then we need to react. Begin to act upon what he already told me or told you. The Lord answered to me and said, write the vision. So he gets the word from God. He sees the vision, right? So God shows it to him in a vision, and he wrote it down. Why did he write it down? Well, probably, number one, he didn't understand completely what he was seeing. And number two, you guys say this with me, the dullest pencil is greater than the sharpest mind. He wrote it down because he probably wasn't going to remember it. So he wrote it down because God was showing him something that he didn't fully understand. And he wrote it down because he knew he wasn't going to remember all of this. So when God speaks to you, which he will, write it down. Write it down. What has he said? Not only what has he said, what has he promised? Huh? That's a great way to hear the Lord because you know what he'll do? He'll always release us. What do you say over me? I'm going to make you a great man. What do you say over me? You're going to lead my people. What do you say over me? I'm going to give you significance. I'm going to give you influence. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to, whatever it is he's saying to you, what is he saying? What is he saying? Write it down. Review it, which means look it over. Everybody say this with me. Time bind it, which I got to time bind this message. Time bind it, which means it's a deadline, right? You know, how much stuff do you get done on a deadline? You get a lot of stuff done, right? Here's my favorite, vacation, right? You're going on vacation. Vacation's like two days. And you're trying to do everything you've been neglecting for six months. i got to clean that garage, man. Why are you cleaning the garage? We're going on vacation tomorrow. i got to clean this garage. The garage has been a wreck for a year. But because you're going on vacation, you're out there cleaning. i got to wash the car. i got to get the dog a haircut. Man, i got to do a lot of stuff. Well, what changed? Because there's a, there's a deadline attached to it. Put a deadline on it. What God tells you, if he gives you an instruction, his question is when. When are you going to do it? When? I had a friend of mine, he was a missionary, kept trying to push me. There was a project we were doing down in Haiti, and I, and I kept feeling like the Lord was telling me to ask him. I kept asking him, and the guy kept coming back to me going, I'm not your guy, I'm not your guy. The kid grew up as a missionary. His dad was a jungle pilot, had all kinds of crazy experience as a missionary, but he's like, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to do it. Now nah, I'm not your guy, Kevin. You go, you go. And I'm like, man, I feel like the Lord is telling you to lead this thing and help make this thing happen. And then he go, and then, uh, so I go back to the Lord, and I'm like, uh, he's telling me he's not the guy, Lord. And so you know what the Lord tells me? I'll tell you what he told me. I went to breakfast with him, and I sat with him, and I said, I told the Lord that you told me you weren't your guy, because he's telling me this again. I said, you know, I told the Lord that. And you know what he said to me? He told me to ask you when. Tomorrow, next week, next year, five years, when is he going to get a return on what he's invested in you? When? When? He went. All of what he has invested in you, you have not given him a return. He's asking you for a return, and you're denying it. 
you won't give him the return that he's put in you. And he wants to know, when are you planning on doing that? When are you planning on giving me back what I put in you? When? At what time? When? When? Well, he led the mission. <laughs> we built a school. We said it was a bunch of great things happened. Guy was extremely wise, understood the process, got it all done, and he was the guy for the job. But he didn't want to go. And the Lord goes, well, I've made an investment, and I want to know when I'm getting a return. So if it's 10 years, I'll wait 10 years. But you're going to tell me when you're going to give back what I've given you. That's how he works, man. He's like that. And it's good, because he gave you something so that you could partner in the plan of God. That's how it works. So he had to write it down, he had to review it, he had to time bind it, and then he had to run with it, take immediate action. We write this stuff down or we, and we go put it on a shelf somewhere. If there's an immediate action, you need to take it. When are you going to do it? Now. Now. Next slide. Take immediate action. What is God telling you? What is he putting on your heart? Don't wait. Don't have an inner monologue on it. Don't try to reason it within yourself. Do what he says. Water of transformation. Mary, wedding in Cana, right? They take the water pots, fill them with water. And what's Mary's instruction to the servants? Anybody know? What does she tell them? Whatever he says, do it. Don't question it. Just do it. And water will turn to wine. Lifeless living will turn into the water of abundance. Joylessness will turn into joy. Just do what he says. Don't question him. Just do it. Here it is. Here's how we know if it's the Lord. So a lot of people go, well, how do I know God's speaking? Number one, it rhymes up with the, with the voice of Scripture. Not a Scripture, but the voice of Scripture. The overall voice of Scripture is what we're looking for here. Number two, does it glorify Jesus? Does it honor Jesus? Right? So I had a guy tell me one time, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I had another guy, he was a worship leader. We find out the worship leader's living with his girlfriend. Not really the thing you want the worship leader doing, just in case you didn't know that. So the guy was living, this is years ago, so I sit the guy down, and I say, look, man, um, you got to make your decision here, because this is where we're at, this is what we're doing, this is how you are, this is what Jesus says, this is the whole deal. So you need to decide. He said, okay, I need a couple of weeks. He comes back to me, and he sits down, he goes, I prayed about it, and the Lord told me I should keep living with my girlfriend and continue ministering to him, to her. And I was like, well, you're ministering to her, but not in the way that Jesus would have you to minister to her. And so I told the guy, I said, listen, this doesn't line up with the tenor of Scripture, and this does not honor God. So what you're doing is not honoring God, and this does not line up with the Word of God. So I highly doubt that Jesus told you that, because it doesn't line up with His Word, and it doesn't line up with His honor. It is a dishonor, and it's not within his, the context of His Word. So there's one. Would godly counsel confirm it? If you were to bring this to godly counsel, wise people who are spirit-led and spirit-understanding, would they say this is a good idea or this is a terrible idea? I feel like the Lord told me this. I'm supposed to go up on the building and jump off. What do you say? Well, I don't think that's really a good idea. You know, I mean, this is how extreme, I'm taking you to points of extremes, but, this is, but a lot of people want to know that it's the Lord. What happens when you follow the Lord enough is you start to recognize His voice. He starts speaking to you in a tenor and a tone. There's a manner in which he will speak to you. And when you start listening to it, because he's trying to build assurance within you, that's why he speaks to you in so many different ways, is he's trying to figure out which one you'll go with. And once he figures out, okay, Kevin's going to go with this one, this is how I'm going to talk to him. And that's how he gets you. He tries to get you into the tone and the rhythm of how he speaks. Is it consistent with your design? In other words, God's called me to be an opera singer, but I can't carry a tune in a bucket. I, doubt that, I don't think he's telling you to be, you know, 
He's calling me to be a dancer, but I got two left feet. I don't think that that's probably, he might tell you you're going to be involved in dance. He might be telling you you're going to be involved in music, but he may not be saying that per se, because it's not lining up entirely with the way that you're designed. Last slide. Does his presence rest with it? In other words, when he tells you, does it bear witness with you? Does this rest, does the peace of God upon you, is it restful with you? That's the question. But say this with me. Feeling is always a secondary confirmation, not the primary one. So in other words, the way that you feel is to come after the other ones. You're to get the confirmation from something else other than feeling. Some of you I feel this, I feel that, I feel this, I feel that. This is how I'm feeling. I mean, your moods change, don't they? And so do your feelings. So while feeling is important and that is important, that's not the number one. Like a lot of times I'll feel what the Lord is telling me to do. But I don't make a decision on that. They'll go, what do you think? Well, I feel like the Lord is telling me to do this, but I need something else. I need, and so I go and I get something else. I may feel this is what God's impressing upon me, but then I go and look for another confirmation. His voice is the greatest factor in your future. Do you believe that? Two of you. Hearing his voice will change everything. What are you saying, Lord? What are you doing? What do you want from me? How do you want this to go? You will hear his voice. Don't harden your heart as in rebellion. Right? We hear his voice. So maybe you're here today and you never, you've never given your life to Jesus. And there's a voice on your heart right now telling you. Man, this, I need to go all in on this. I don't know how. I'm going to show you how. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and He's risen from the dead, you'll be saved. And what does that mean? It means we're going to pray a prayer. When we pray this prayer, all you need to do is open your heart, pray with us, and invite Jesus to come in, and He'll do the rest. He'll do what He said He's going to do. So if that's you, and this church just pray along with me, we're going to do this. Let's just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Say that's it. No, that's the start of it.